0: we talk about the collaborative instructional cycle
1: of of ensuring that there is co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessment and reflection. And we often say that the magic is not in the co-teaching, the magic is in the collaboration. There's no collaboration, there's no co-planning, co-assessment or or group reflection. There certainly is no true positive co-teaching going on.
0: And in fact, we even say that you can't co-plan without co-teaching. And you have—you could still have absolutely amazing results. We have this documented. We have this. Um, we, we have witnessed this. However, you cannot co-teach without co-planning.
2: Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How do we go about creating successful co-teaching and co-planning partnerships to support English learners? What are some protocols that co-teaching and co-planning pairs should have in place to help mitigate any conflicts that may arise? How can school leaders support and amplify the practice to maximize impact on students? We discuss these questions and much more in our conversation with Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria G. Dove. Together, they have co-authored five best-selling Corwin books, including their most recent, Co-Teaching for English Learners, A Guide to Collaborative Planning, Instruction, Assessment, and Reflection, published in 2018. Andrea Honigsfeld is Associate Dean and Professor in the Division of Education at Malloy College in Rockville Center, New York. She directs a doctoral program in Educational Leadership for Diverse Learning Communities. Before entering the field of teacher education, she was an English as a Foreign Language teacher in Hungary and an English as a second language teacher in New York City. She also taught Hungarian at New York University. She was the recipient of a doctoral fellowship at St. John's University, New York, where she conducted research on individualized instruction and learning styles. She has published extensively on working with English learners and providing individualized instruction based on learning style preferences. She received a Fulbright Award to lecture in Iceland in the fall of 2002. For the past 12 years, she has been presenting at conferences across the United States, Great Britain, Denmark, Sweden, the Philippines, and the United Arab Emirates. She frequently offers staff development, primarily focusing on effective differentiated strategies and collaborative practices for English as a second language and general education teachers. Maria G. Dove is Associate Professor in the Division of Education at Malloy College in Rockville Center, New York, where she teaches pre-service and in-service teachers about the research and best practices for developing effective programs and school policies for English learners. Before entering the field of higher education, she worked for over 30 years as an English as a second language teacher in public school settings, grades K-12, to and in adult English language programs in Nassau County, New York. In 2010, she received the Outstanding ESOL Educator Award from New York State Teachers of English of Speakers of Other Languages. She frequently provides professional development for educators throughout the United States on the teaching of diverse students. She also serves as a mentor for new ESOL teachers, as well as an instructional coach for general education teachers and literacy specialists. She has published articles and book chapters on collaborative teaching practices, instructional leadership, and collaborative coaching. Before we get started with our conversation with Andrea and Maria, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our EL community at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage with great content like our Whiteboard Wednesday short video series, blog posts, and articles. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. Here's our conversation with Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria Dove, who truly do finish each other's sentences. Andrea Honigsfeld and Maria Dove, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to be selected for this interview. We're really excited to speak with you.
3: Yeah, as we were talking before we clicked the record button here, I had said that you've been on on my list for quite a while, so I'm also excited to, to have you on. Um, and so I, I want to start by sort of recognizing and, and applauding the fact that the two of you have nurtured a successful professional relationship around building successful co-teaching relationships for over a decade. And I think that's relevant to our conversation. So what can you share with listeners from your own experience about what it takes to sustain this kind of collaborative relationship um, over a significant amount of time?
0: That's a wonderful question. So this is Andrea. I still remember the day that I met Maria now, actually probably a decade and a half ago. We didn't start collaborating right away. But when you connect with somebody because you have similar ideas and a shared philosophy around supporting English learners or any other uh, pedagogical um, dimensions, I think you immediately have that professional relationship starting
1: to grow. I think also we never assumed what the other thought. We always had very detailed and honest conversations. So even though we you could say we hit it off or we clicked with a lot of our philosophies about teaching English learners. I think it was a matter of truly investigating each other's thoughts about, and, and that's how we really, that's like true collaboration. The idea that it truly grew from our individual ideas.
0: And of course, we're also both very similar and very different. Uh, Maria likes to say that you are the, uh big picture thinker, and I'm the more analytical taskmaster type (laughs) of collaborator, so we complement each other.
1: Absolutely. I come up with these big ideas, and Andrea uh, just sits down very shortly thereafter and puts it together in an outline, and then we go to work.
3: Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that kind of wish that they had one or the other, either a big picture person or a person to actually get those done. With me, I think it would probably be, I definitely look at myself as a big big picture thinker, but sometimes actually sitting down and getting the work done, I could really use, uh, I guess, an Andrea to to help me do that. So if you're ever looking for anything to do, I have plenty plenty of ideas, big ideas. Well,
0: sometimes we do joke that I cheat on Maria and I collaborate with other people too, but so does she. So yet, because it's an open relationship, again, we continue with that metaphor, our collaboration just gets stronger because we have deep respect for each other and each other's time. And we also do other things, but we always circle back to each other and we keep collaborating Mm -hmm. on new projects, new uh, books, and so forth.
3: For sure. Yeah. I love the, um, the metaphor and the expansion of it. I think that's great. Um, and, you know, it, it, it relies heavily on communication, obviously. And one thing that one of you mentioned was, um, you know, you never assume what the other is thinking, which I think is crucially important and I think a part of active listening. But I mean, what, what communication strategies aside from that would you say are crucial to your relationship and then expanding it beyond that to uh, to a co-teaching relationship, specifically around um, teaching English learners? That's
1: a, That's a good question. You know, I think there are... Two parts that we do. One is that we seem to have specific responsibilities that we continue to do, like, and then the other is there are responsibilities that are flexible. So that Andrea is one in which, you know, with her analytical uh, abilities, she's good with setting dates and times and meetings and. She paces our presentations when we work together. And I tend to do a lot of the technological um, things that we present. Mm -hmm. uh, However, when we're co-teaching, like just with this particular interview as well, we are very flexible as to who's going to say what and when and where.
3: Which I love as well, and again, before we recorded giving people a little uh, little inside um, information. I mean, I always ask folks if, you know, do, do you, how structured do you want this to be? And you were both like, no, we're just, it's organically is fine, which I think is great. That works for me as well.
0: So also if I could chime in with um, some very specific strategies that actually we use during our workshops, it's just the four Ps. The four Ps stand for pause, paraphrase, pose questions, and presume positive assumptions or or intentions yes. rather so this is also something that we practice we don't just preach about it but we practice it so if maria says something rather than answering yes but which really means no i say well, what if or paraphrase or i think what you're saying is or uh, from my perspective i think i see it this way so we have developed over the years some of these very simple communication strategies that, unfortunately, we found that very few teachers have formally been trained in. Mm-hmm. So we try to put this into our workshops and into our publications as well. And, and we, as I said, practice what we preach. And that is one big reason why we continue to go strong as a collaborative team.
2: I, I
1: love the, the aspect of the uh, individual, personal, positive intentions, that we just assume that about each other. And that's an important part of our our, our relationship. That we, um, although sometimes things don't always go as smoothly as they could have, or we have different ideas about what should be done, we always assume the other has uh, personal positive intentions. And I think that that carries us through some of the rough spots that we've we've met along the way.
3: Yeah, and I feel like that's where people, both in personal relationships, professional relationships, teaching everywhere, can can tend to stumble. I feel like that's a crucial part of that. And just to kind of, you know, review what you said, it was pause, paraphrase, pose a question, and then presume positive intentions. But without presuming positive intentions, it can become, I suppose, um, more sort of driven by, uh, is this person really up to, is this person doing something that is not what I want to do or in the right sort of dimensions of, of what my plan is. So I think that must be a crucial part of that. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. And one more P that is not part of our four P's is power struggles. Yeah. We have to avoid that. that is not one of our strategies. That's actually something that um, Maria likes to say, we leave our egos at the door. Yep. We're, we're together. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's us. It's how can we work together? How can we do better together for other people?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is a really kind of I love that this is an sort of an overarching um, model that you can use the four P's and something that you can remember. And I think it's kind of must take a lot of practice and discipline to use all the time. But it's nice to have but also you from what I've seen and the work that you both have done is that you, you know, you're not shy about saying that co teaching is not a silver silver bullet, but rather one element of a more complicated formula for success. So that being said, how do you see co-teaching connecting to other parts of teaching English learners? Like what's the um, thing that brings it in and brings it together and makes it an important part of what we're doing when we're educating these students?
1: We have written a great deal about co-teaching and many people get the misconception that we think that co-teaching is the best way or the only way our ideas about working with um, English learners is that you have to look at each individual student and decide what do they need. Most of the time, co-teaching works very well with the majority of English learners, however, there are instances where students need different types of programs, special attention. Uh, those pull-out or standalone classes or small group instruction are very beneficial. So, we don't like to say that co teaching is the only way to go because we know it isn't. We have seen the value of programs that truly determine what individual students' needs are.
0: We're also very mindful of the local variables. We often like to say that it's the farm to table version, the local flavors are very, very important. And I love that. Yes, yes, the logistical. Differences that we have seen as we have traveled um, over half the country. I think we're counting the states that we have visited professionally and we're up to 28. So teaching is growing and expanding. Yet we have never seen two school districts that are identical or two um, philosophies about working with English learners. That would be exactly identical. Funding is huge availability of staffing and other resources so because of there are all these variables co-teaching as we say is one of several program options that we feel can very strongly support integrated content and language instruction
3: right yeah and i appreciate you bringing that up both at, and and i think that the root of this is kind of maria started was you know you have to look at the individual student first um, and then um, Andrew, you brought in kind of the local flavor, the farm to table piece, understanding what sort of um, challenges are in place and 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 also assets in different communities and different districts. And I think that's so crucial, just understanding students. And it comes up in almost every episode we do, like you have to know who your students are and what they need. Um, it doesn't always come up that you have to know your district and your specific local challenges and assets, but I'm glad you brought that up um, as well. And you know, as you were, as you were talking, a lot of it you know, you've you've written a lot about co-teaching, and so you know, I'm not surprised in some ways that people have the intention that you think it's the only way to do it. That's not true, and you've cleared that up. But that kind of plays into the whole um, sort of educational philosophy that I think is misguided, where we use one thing and we say, "Hey, this thing's not working. Let's try something completely new and throw the other thing away." Instead of putting elements of different things in together, have you seen that over time as well as you've as you've gone uh, about traveling everywhere with co-teaching? Oh.
1: Absolutely, and and it's very indicative of of what school districts do, uh, as far as when they they bring in new programs and they have to throw everything else out because they have to start fresh, and it has to be uh, done with fidelity. And I think as far as our philosophy is concerned, we think that taking the good from each piece, each program, and combining it with people's ideas and coming up with something that's really innovative for a particular setting, for a particular institution or school district is really what we find most valuable.
0: So when Maria mentioned that um, implementing a particular initiative with fidelity is important, we often emphasize that what we have written in our books are not scripted, meaning, not prescriptive rather, so we do not want anybody to think that if they look at our books, that will be the step-by-step guidebook that everybody has to follow. In fact, we like to consider our books as um, resources that teachers, educators, administrators can tap into and then create their own version of what we call a collaborative integrated service delivery model So it's much bigger. It's much, much broader. Co-teaching is just one part of it. When they ask, when anybody asks us, so what do we mean by implementing with fidelity? We talk about the collaborative instructional cycle of ensuring
1: that there is co-planning, co-teaching. Co-assessment and reflection. And we often say that the magic is not in the co-teaching. The magic is in the collaboration. Yeah. There's no collaboration. There's no co-planning, co-assessment or reflection. Or group reflection, there certainly is no true positive co-teaching going on.
0: And in fact, we even say that you can co-plan without co-teaching, and you have—you could still have absolutely amazing results. We have this documented. We have this. Um, we, we have witnessed this. However, you cannot co-teach without co-plan. Yeah.
3: It's funny, I've definitely co-planned without co-teaching and I have very little experience with co-teaching. I taught high school Spanish. so aside from having um, you know teachers who are special education teachers in my room at the time um, when I had students who sort of needed extra services, but there was there was not a whole lot of collaboration going on in there and it's something that um, that I look back on and I think it was a time issue, maybe it was a budget issue, maybe it was a maybe maybe we weren't looking close enough at it. But I have had very, very successful co-planning sessions with, with fellow teachers that have resulted in uh, in some really strong gains in my own classes. And I know theirs as well. So I totally agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about um, about conflicts that may arise because you know, you're dealing with two people who may have different personalities. You may be dealing with someone who's been teaching for a long time and they've never co-taught before and someone who's really eager to do it. What are some of the protocols that schools or individual teachers should have in place to help mitigate these conflicts that arise? And I, I'm assuming that that uh, that is that presuming best intentions or positive intentions is one of them but what else would you uh, would you put into place there
1: one thing i so appreciate about andrea is that you know we set our due dates and i'm a procrastinator i i said it right here and now <laughs>
3: I'll, however, I'll join the i'll say that i am too so you're not alone
1: however <laughs> by the due date if i say i'm going to get something done i get it done now andrea is more of the type of person who works at things and gets things done by working at them consistently. I don't, I delve right in and I will spend hours just focused on one task to get it done. But she trusts me that it's gonna get done. If I say it's gonna get done, it's gonna get done. And I so appreciate that about her, that she is just able to let me be me. And that really, prevents a lot of conflicts that might occur.
0: I'd like to just piggyback on that, that I think what Maria is pointing out is that getting to know ourselves and getting to know each other. So allowing time for um, understanding each other's strengths and not weaknesses. We actually never even call it when we do professional development around this topic, but truly allowing the collaborative teachers to share with each other what value they are bringing to the table. So the more you understand your partner, your co-teacher, this also applies, of course, to your personal life, the more you understand where they are coming from, that it's, she's not delaying the process to annoy me, which of course I thought initially that she, <laughs> <does>. <laughs> See, she knows that I'm a planner and I have things mapped out.
3: This well, sounds very familiar in my own personal uh, life and family relationship. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like this podcast episode could could be useful for a wide variety of people. But anyway, continue.
0: Yes, exactly. So we often borrow um, from uh, marriage and family therapy, which actually I'm married to one at home. So uh, my husband is a therapist. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So you borrow from that field and the wisdom of that field, which is understanding each other, respecting each other's differences, being able to speak from that um, perspective of not just shooting the other person down and this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, but um, having a conversation in which, as we said earlier, the four Ps really apply here. So engaging in a dialogue in which Maria says something, I will pause rather than already formulating my answers as she's talking. Mm -hmm. That's something that we actually bring to awareness when we help teachers work through conflicts or difficult relationships and almost everybody including us we all admit to it that often we are already thinking about the next thing we're going to be saying it's so
3: hard hard not to it's so hard not to yes
0: very hard but if we are introducing this a technique of asking for paraphrasing you can't do that because you have to focus on how you're going to paraphrase what the other person is saying so it shifts the conversation to more active listening and it uh, asking questions or posing questions also asks, asks the other person for clarifications, allowing the other person to talk more rather than the first person who might have felt wrong and would wanna just really get it out to, um, to shift the balance between uh, the two speakers and to really have things out there on the table, bring table, uh, bring issues on the table. And sometimes we say if, if the two, um, co-teachers or the two educators can't really resolve their conflicts or their differences, we really hope that the coaches or an administrator in the building or a peer could be the marriage counselor, could mm-hmm. be the mediator who comes into this conversation and tries to put the differences aside and look for commonalities
3: yeah, you know what's funny is as you were speaking about um, making sure that you're sort of listening to the other person and and how difficult it is. I, I said how difficult it is not to sort of think about your answers the other person is speaking. It occurred to me that one thing that, and I've said this actually before to 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 my wife that, that like when I do these podcasts, I've done maybe 65 of them at this point, I shift into a mode where it's definitely those four p's because I have to in order to be successful in doing what I'm doing. But it's hard to shift that over to sort of personal, um, and even professional relationships but you know you have it in you like you just have to kind of practice it and be disciplined with it so I just thought of bringing that up because I think it's an interesting like perspective on depending on sort of where you are and what you're doing you can turn that on and off but it's one of those things that if it's on all the time it's only going to benefit you
0: and another very important part of building strong relationships and avoiding or addressing conflicts is to put structures and routines in place mm-hmm. And in our books, and of course in our workshops, we talk a lot about that and support teachers with coming up with either a daily routine, a weekly routine, a co-planning routine, whatever routine or structure that you can commit to that you negotiate upfront. And then adjust, of course, if you need to, will help with maybe the daily potential situations for conflict because every day you have to figure out how you're gonna collaborate instead of having a set routine, which is so much more powerful.
1: Absolutely. You know, I couldn't have said it better.
3: Great. Well, we've talked, I think, a lot about sort of um, nurturing professional relationships, some of the things you can do to do that. And, and and it always it always amazes me. It doesn't surprise me, but it always amazes me how much uh, of what we do as educators is um, – just, just revolves around establishing relationships, whether it's with students or in this case with co-teachers. I want to shift a little bit more to kind of the logistics of this and sort of what you've noticed based on all your work. And the first question I have about that is, you know, this, at least in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um, teacher collaboration, co-teaching has become a little bit more mainstream. It's a little bit more out there, I think, largely thanks to the work that you and others are doing um, to, to get the word out. But well, what have you noticed in the field as it's become sort of more popular? Have there been significant changes, anything to highlight that's worth mentioning?
1: There have been many challenges with co teaching. Uh, in some ways, some teachers still are asked to co-teach with partners, they're assigned partners, but there isn't a lot of time for relationship building or a lot of professional development around that particular activity. And it's a struggle. Uh, Someone came to me the other day and said, what do I do? This co-teacher I have to co-teach with is very traditional and he's had other co-teachers and what do I do now? And it becomes problematic when you look at the challenges. So what you have to do is find the common ground. What do you both uh, can begin collaborative conversations about? Very often, it can just start with classroom management or um, ideas about what to do about a particular uh, aspect of the, the lesson so you start with something small and build from there so that you aren't always running into roadblocks
0: another observation that we have made i think in the past few years especially is the much stronger focus on academic english mm-hmm. so rather than looking at the children in any any classroom as oh, there are those English learners and the English speakers and othering a group of kids that all those kids will need something else while you can do all kinds of fancy things with this group. Um, We have learned from Ivania Soto and more recently um, Sarah Otto and many others, including us, have started using the term "all," standing for academic language learners. And this is a huge shift. And I think co-teaching and teacher collaboration could have contributed to that so that educators who work with a group of children, group of youngsters in any classroom, will recognize that every single child, even your most gifted monolingual child, is an academic
1: language learner.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's... good. Oh, sorry.
1: We've also seen changes with uh, classroom grade level and content area teachers, that they often think that this isn't going to work, or I don't know how this is going to help, And then they become total converts after uh, the first year of co-teaching. They see the value of how not only has the strategies that have been brought into the classroom to help English learners have been successful with English learners, but also they adopt those strategies for working with all students.
3: Which, again, is something that comes up in every single episode that we have, which is which I love. And it comes up organically, which is that, you know, in general, good instruction for English learners is good instruction for all students. So the fact that those teachers are learning that that is the case is, is through co-teaching um, practices is, is extremely valuable. And that's uh, that's that's very encouraging.
0: There's yet another very interesting trend that is emerging, I would say it's not yet in every single context that we have an opportunity to work in, but more and more, we're asked to also address special education inclusion.
3: I'm seeing that too.
0: Yes, yes, so even though inclusion and co-teaching within the context of special education have been around for over, I think, three decades, oh, Yes. Um, what has happened in many contexts that we have observed is that the special educator becomes a, an assistant. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we hear a highly paid aide, or at least that's the role of the special educator. And as the school district or the building, the school building sees that the ESL ELL co-teaching is going in a very different direction. We're being asked to try to um, inspire the special education department to try to do co-teaching differently as well. And we are of course very honored by that. We do not claim that we have the special education background, but the co-teaching and collaborative work that we have developed is truly applicable to other contexts as well.
1: I think the co-teaching for special education very often has a different philosophy, that the special educators are in the room to scaffold instruction to give students access points to the curriculum. However, in the co-taught class with English learners for their benefit, we find that not only is the the ESL teacher giving access points to the curriculum to the English learners, they are also building language skills, so Mm -hmm. those essential skills. So it's very different from, you know, the two types of co-teaching are very different.
3: But we can learn a lot from one another, for sure.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Yes.
3: So you've just outlined some of the challenges, some of the trends, some things that are going well, some things that um, that that we could do better. I think that my main takeaway, and it's not surprising, is that you know one of the biggest challenges is that perhaps there's not enough time for relationship building or quality PD um, with with co-teaching. But I'm curious, you know, given all the challenges and given all the good things that are happening, none of this. Like like many good you know classroom practices, none of them can work really well without leadership, without administrators supporting it. So my next question is, how can administrators best support the practice of co-teaching for English learners?
1: That's a very big
3: question. Yeah, I know. I'm setting you up for a very like, <laughs> you could give us the highlights.
0: Yeah. So actually in 2015, we published a book about it because all of our other books and articles seem to have addressed the needs of classroom educators and we Kind of got tired of not being able to speak directly to leadership so we have a leader's guide and the number one recommendation actually is connected to the number one complaint which is there's not enough co-planning time
3: mm-hmm.
0: so we ask administrators to look at the master schedule and actually consider co-planning time collaboration time plc time whatever local flavor is available for teacher collaboration to be blocked out and to be um, untouchable.
1: The other piece is resources. As a co-teacher who comes into a social studies class, a math class, an ELA class, that teacher is going to need resources, either textbooks or online resources, whatever the classroom or content area teacher has, that co-teacher should have access to as well. Right? You see that as problematic sometimes.
3: Yeah, I've definitely seen that. I've seen both of those things not happening, the co-planning time and then the lack of resources um, and even just understanding the resources and having the time, I guess, co planning is a part of that. If you have time to co plan, then you have time to understand what the resources are and have a better understanding of what it is that you're trying to do um, in the class.
0: We also very strongly urge um, administrators to be part of the professional development, not just assign the professional learning to the teachers around the practice of co teaching or collaboration. And that makes a huge difference when administrators actively participate let's say in a workshop or come to a conference and they learn about this practice from inside out rather than simply observing stopping by doing a walkthrough mm-hmm. and have a very different idea what good co-teaching
1: should look like in addition for the success of co-teaching administrators should set their expectations to the co-teachers as far as what their jobs are what they what the administrators expect that each teacher will be doing, and also doing those rounds where they're doing those maybe five or 10 minute walk-ins where they can observe mm-hmm. where the process is going on.
3: Yeah, providing a basic structure so that people understand what the expectations are and what needs to be done. And in order to do that, it's like a cycle, right? They need to understand what it means, which means they need to be involved in the PD. So I, I see all these things as being directly related to one another. Not something that's happening everywhere, but uh, but definitely something to um, to shoot for. I have one more sort of topic or question that I'd like to get at, and this is more of like a like a role play situation. I sort of thought before I was speaking with you, I have a lot of experience teaching. Um, I taught high school for seventeen years, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do a bit of a, a bit of a role play here. We'll see where this goes. So I've just heard everything that you have to say. I've read your books. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to get into this whole co-teaching thing. I'm a seasoned, relatively successful language arts teacher. I've been teaching in the same school for 22 years, and I'm like really comfortable working alone with my students. I love the first day of school. I love getting to know my students. I'm in there with them. That's like the highlight of my day. I go to meetings, and that's not what I really want to be doing. I want to be with my kids. And honestly, I find having another teacher in the room uncomfortable, and if I'm being honest, sometimes a little threatening but I'm open to learning more about it um, if they could help impact my students. What would you tell me? I've just told you that. Like, I've been totally, completely honest. I'm not holding anything back. How would you address somebody like me?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would advise you to find out what the strengths of your co-teacher might be. These strengths that they bring to your class Are going to be a benefit to your students so we we very rarely know a lot about our colleagues in the building except those that we've made our friends we know little bits of gossip and you know little things that we've heard but we really don't know them very well so that would be my second thing to get to know your co-teacher more on a personal level just doesn't have to be that deep but I think it's important to find sometimes some some personal aspects that you may have in common i used mean, used to joke with Andrea about uh, you know if if I had known some things about her, maybe I wouldn't have wanted to to co-teach with her but
0: that's what we generally know. Okay, now we have
1: to <laughs> kind of qualify that. What are we talking about? Here? What are those.
0: Where things? Gets some
1: interesting ideas. All right. So Andrea uh, and I used to do a lot of, of work in our in our homes because that's you know that was the spaces that we chose. And she would come to my house. I had two little dogs at the time, and she completely ignored my little dog. She didn't. She was really not a dog person, and I'm a big dog person. So. Um, I, if that was the only thing I ever knew about Andrea before we partnered, I may not have had a very positive um, viewpoint.
3: It's a big okay. deal being a dog person and not a dog person.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was not that maybe we would
0: not have had any of these books. Written. We just judge me based
1: on that. But we do that. <laughs> we make these snap judgments about people just knowing little bits of information. And it's generally gossip.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, like, this particular co-teacher that's going to be working in my hypothetical classroom, you know, I've just heard not great things about him. He's pretty young. Um, You know, I I, I just, I've been doing this for a long time, and he's, he's bounced from one school to another over the last three years. I'm not really sure why he's even in this role.
1: I have to tell you, I remember going into districts to coach certain and hearing horrible things. About some of the teachers that I was going to coach, and really finding out who they were and, and what circumstances led them to maybe not be as successful, and very different from what I heard. So you never can assume.
0: So Steve, uh, since you said that it's a it's another young man that's coming up, um, would you make an effort to um, find out one thing that's common? It has nothing to do with teaching between the two of you. Maybe you both go on hikes on the weekend, or maybe you're both, you know, you ride the bicycle and do something, do one thing. It's almost like um, a roundabout way of getting to know and connecting with that person where the stress of trying to figure out what you're going to be doing in the classroom is placed outside of that space. So now you are in the context of maybe going bowling, maybe going on a short hike, maybe just, just uh, having a cup of coffee or anything that has nothing to do with school and getting to know each other. So giving it basically a chance, giving this relationship a chance. And since you said that you are a seasoned teacher, a very accomplished teacher, experienced teacher, you have really um, an interesting responsibility or an opportunity, which is to nurture the next generation of teachers. And what if you looked at this whole situation as an opportunity to to offer peer coaching or a little teacher leadership and helping this teacher get situated and perhaps even um, obtain a permanent position? Why was he bounced around? What was going on? Without assuming anything negative there might have been an op- might be a new opportunity for him to find a more permanent home for his career. We have seen that a lot that co-teaching and collaboration turned into a um, <clears throat> an opportunity for the seasoned teacher to grow as a teacher leader and the new teacher to be mentored or initiated into the field or supported through some some difficult um, early year, Uh, career challenges. So would that be something that you would be interested in just to see um, where that goes?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I'll kind of, I'll end the, the little improv here now, just to kind of bring us back to say that I think, you know, what you're talking about here is, is crucial. And I think we talk about it a lot of times with our students, which is, you know, we need to get to know who they are. We need to make that investment so that they'll make an investment in the learning that we're trying to get them. Um, you know, to, 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 to learn or the, or the, the content that we're trying to get them to learn. I think it's the same with teachers. <clears throat> you know, if, if we get to know each other and I've seen like as a teacher that those opportunities, you know, sometimes are hard to come by. So you really have to take the initiative to do it yourself. Whereas now like I'm at elevation here and this is a, uh, a growing company, kind of a startup culture. And there's so many opportunities for us to get to know one another, whether it's like an events that we have or these coffee chats that we do and I just think schools have so much to learn um, about putting things in place, structures in place, so that teachers get to know each other um, better. But your advice is great. And I think like if a school leader at uh, my school had told me that, you know, that's something that I would have definitely thought about and followed. It just wasn't really part of the structure and the day-to-day protocol of, of where I worked as a teacher unless I initiated that myself. One thing that you said, not to drag this on for forever, but one thing that you said that I appreciated was, you know, as somebody who's a seasoned teacher, it is my, it is an opportunity, but maybe also a responsibility for me to, um, to mentor the next person, even if I'm not specifically, you know, designated as a mentor. And really, if I look at that through the lens of that is going to impact my students and future students at this school, that's something that I can buy into.
0: It's all about the relationship. Yeah. Relational trust is something that you earn. It's not given. You don't find it. it. We have to work at it.
1: And we never know why people have their walls up. We don't yeah. know if it, it comes from an initial experience, and then they keep those walls up. And it's it's amazing sometimes. I mean, I've I've had people come to me, in particular, about one one teacher who I co taught with, and she's really now a very dear friend of mine. And same thing, they had horrible things to say about her. Yeah. And you just cannot believe the gossip
3: yep. you know, beyond it. It can be toxic for sure. Absolutely. Okay. As we wrap up here, um, I, I want to ask you both a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. And the result is a great list of books that I at least am uh, in, am tearing through. And hopefully some of our listeners are too. And the question is, is there a book or a resource that has influenced you either personally or professionally that you'd like to share?
1: Well, for me, it's Michael Fullan's work, and the work I always go to is go to work is the new meaning of educational change, and it's I think influenced me both professionally and personally. I was looking to understand how programs are uh, innovative programs are implemented. I had seen how my grassroots efforts, when I was uh, teaching and co-teaching, how they how they failed to really take um, a uh, broader um, hold in the, uh, in the school I was working in, and so I, I wanted to know. And, and Michael Fullan's work in, on uh, innovation and, and educational change really changed my thinking about how to implement programs.
0: And the book for me actually is Outside of the Realm of Education. It's by Keith Sawyer, and the title of the book is at least the first edition was called Group Genius, The Creative Power of Collaboration. And I absolutely love this book because the author goes through a whole range of very well known innovations from the ATM to the mountain bike, and all sorts of other innovative uh, practices and creative um, um, ideas in our world that we take for granted. And he basically busts the myth that there is the individual gift the lone genius that comes up with all of these innovations and his final conclusion is that every one of these major innovations originate in collaboration and it's just fascinating truly fascinating how um, the title of the book again is the group genius how powerful it is to think of ourselves as collaborators and what we can achieve when we work together.
3: That's great and great news for me because both of those books I have not read and have not been mentioned, um, on the podcast. So that's wonderful. Good job. We didn't even rehearse that. So that's great. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So last question, and we're going to link to, um, to, to your books and your work that are relevant to this conversation of which there are many, but how can people learn more about the work that you both are doing?
0: Well, we're both on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Andrea Honigswell without the D because my name is too long.
1: And <laughs> I retweet a lot of uh, Maria G Dove on Twitter. We also have two websites that I maintain with you know some degree. Uh, we have one is co-teaching for L's E L L E L L E L L S dot Weebly dot com and say that again. Oh, that yeah, because that was really. Uh, so it's co-teaching for ELL dot Weebly dot com, and uh, I believe the other one is Integrated ENL dot Weebly dot com. Thank you. That's that one is specific, or more specific to New York State, but has a lot of our resources. Our websites have our research studies and uh, some of our. Uh, PowerPoint presentations are there. There's a video yeah. of us uh, explaining the seven models of co-teaching. So lots of resources are on those two websites.
3: I could tell by the acronym, ENL. I did a lot of training work in uh, in New York, Long Island, so I, I know well ENL, that acronym.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: well, you have to visit us if you come to Long Island again. We're actually both at Molloy College which is the best kept secret of Long Island.
3: I would love to, I, I don't get down there very often anymore because my, my role is more doing this kind of stuff, which I love, but I do miss being in schools and I was in schools quite a bit on Long Island. But if I'm down there, I will definitely visit and I extend the invitation to you for you both to visit um, Boston as well if you're ever up here at our office.
1: That's always a nice trip.
3: Well, this has been really wonderful. I know we just scratched the surface of, of these topics, but, um, you know, like, as I said, we'll link to all of your resources and your books, and there's a lot that people can learn from there. Um, but I really appreciate having you both on, and it's true, you do finish each other's sentences, and I think you model what uh, collaboration and co-teaching looks like. So that's just uh, icing on the cake, as they say. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much.